Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming, and today's focus is going to be the protein industry. We're going to be talking with Jesse Allen, Farm and Ranch Director at the American Ag Network. In just a moment, he's in Nashville on location at the 15th Annual U.S. Cattlemen's Association Annual Meeting. Give us an update from that event in just a bit. And then in segment two, we're going to turn our attention to Glenn Tonser, Professor of Ag Economics at Kansas State University. He compiles the monthly meat demand monitor, tracking just how protein is doing at the retail level. And he's going to give us an update. How are consumers coping with these high inflation levels? And then in segment three, it's Dan Halstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. October was a banner month for pork exports and beef exports have been strong all year. Dan's going to provide that update for us. And we're to close the show with Louis Pugh. He's a senior vice president over at the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. And there's been a bill introduced in Congress to add more truck parking. Much needed. Louis's going to have that update for us at the end of the show. Before we drive into all of that, however, let's get an update here from the U.S. Cattlemen's Annual Meeting down there in Nashville. Jesse Allen joins us now. And Jesse, how's the crowd down there at the USCA meeting? Well, Mike, the crowd is fantastic here as they are working through their meeting. A lot of policy insights that they're going to be going through here today. They have a producer forum tomorrow with a lot of different panels and speakers, and I know we'll talk about some of that in a second. But joining us here at the convention, we have the Independent Beef Processors Committee Chairman, Patrick Robinette from North Carolina. Patrick, good to have you with us here on yes. AOA. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. Thank you a lot for the invite. This is a pleasure. Definitely. Well, Mike, uh, before I throw it back to you for a couple questions, I'll just ask Patrick to start here. I know you guys have a lot of policy meetings. I know we have undersecretary here today as Correct. well. So talk a little bit about what you guys have going on here this morning and yes. throughout the day and some of the things you guys are talking about. Yes, uh, we just got done listening to uh, Deputy Undersecretary Eskin, uh, um, who gave us an update uh, from the FSIS where they are about cell culture, uh, where they're at about country of origin, or not country of origin, but uh, product USA, uh, those sort of things. Uh, so she gave us an update. Um, and then we were able to hit her um, head on with questions, concerns, as we have from an industry standpoint. Um, you know, cell culture is the thing, right? It's mm -hmm. coming. Uh, but um, it's not meat. We can't call it meat. But yet they're... They're talking about where they're at in the process of labeling and they got to be truthful and transparent. And well, you know, it's not meat. So how are we call it meat? So like, let's quit. You, I don't even say cell culture meat. It's cell culture. Let's stop. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so we hit her on that. And also on the uh, uh, product USA, uh, I'm actually fixing to go into our committee meeting where she's going to be because product USA, many don't know. Uh, so from FSI standpoint, it product USA, it is processed in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I can take a carcass, bring it in. Hey, we're product USA, even though it came from somewhere else. Uh, but AMS has a totally different definition of product USA, where it is harvested and processed in the United States. Well, I can bring animal cross border, feed them for a day. Now we're raised it. You see where like we got all these, but we got these conflicts. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So like, we're about to hit her on this and that. Why in the heck do we not have the different divisions within the same organization have the same definitions? Yeah. Um, so, and then she talked, it gave us an update uh, that FSIS has uh, restarted federal audits, uh, the audits of the foreign plants. Um, we hit her with, well, why did you choose Ireland, Paraguay, and uh, South Korea when Brazil's up 400, 500% of the imports? Why are we not restarting foreign uh, audits of those facilities there? And so, like, we, we, we really challenged her very, very well. Very true. Very true. Patrick, I'm curious. You are a beef processor. We've heard so much conversation over that part of the industry here this past year. We've seen some big announcements from this administration. And I'm curious, has it gotten better on on your operation? So actually, yes. Uh, We're starting. Um, So I'm actually a step further. I'm a cattle producer and a USDA. uh, I have a USDA uh, uh, harvest uh, slaughter processing further processing operation that I own. Uh, so like I've actually go from all the beginning and then in, involved in this whole process. Uh, we are at a starting point. Uh, our U.S. cowmen worked with uh, the Trump administration and moved on over to Biden administration on, you know, y'all are screaming for independent processors. We need more of them. We've, we've, we've identified that because of COVID, uh, but we actually took it from a different direction of, uh, we have to get money out there because the banks are going to lend. We have to free up some credit, get some collateralization into this process. And so that's where uh, USDA has taken on with these new programs to expand cold storage mm-hmm. and expand solar and processing. We're at a starting point in this whole deal. We haven't invested in, in 30 years into this, this part of the uh, chain and it's going to be expensive. So yes, we see it starting, but we cannot let our foot off the gas. We got to keep moving forward because there's a lot more that has to be done. Definitely. I, I would think as well, um, you guys are probably having discussions here. I know there's a few different bills going through Congress with cattle contract libraries, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. I'm sure with, with all the different cattlemen and, and women here, you guys are having a lot of discussions around some of those things as well. Oh, yes, this yes, 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 100%. Um, and, uh, and then we're also, we have a meet with the DOJ is coming to give a update on where we are in this, uh, uh, competitive, uh, the antitrust stuff, yeah. uh, the Packer stockyard stuff. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's all we're, 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 we're working hard. Definitely. Patrick, other than the, uh, the challenges we see at the processing space and you see every day, what other major issues are on the minds of USCA members here as they get into their annual meeting? Just how are we going to make money? Where are we going? Where, you know, uh, I, we, uh, I, I do have to say, uh, we did, uh, a couple of us did hit Broadway last night. Uh, one of them said, you know, he said, this year is shaping up to be a year I make money. And I haven't made money in nine years ago. And then, and he's multi generation. He said, you know, I get one out of 10 years I make money. Well, no, no, let's stop this. We are supposed to make money every year, and so that's that's the that's how you know that's what we're 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 trying to strategize. How can cattlemen make money? Definitely. Absolutely, that's what it all comes down to. Jesse, any other final thoughts here from the convention there in Nashville? 
Just going to say, I know they have a lot of great stuff going on here with uh, the policy meetings today, and then there'll be that producer forum tomorrow. A lot of different folks speaking, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, having some different reports uh, from that here through the weekend and into next week uh, on, on all of our family of brands and AOA and American Ag Network and Market Talk and more. Absolutely, folks. You'll be able to keep up to speed with what is happening there. Jesse, thanks for joining us from the USCA annual meeting there in Nashville. And Patrick Robinette, really appreciate you sharing your insights and good luck this next year managing the labor and the imports and everything else that's going to matter to the beef processing space. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. One of those presenters tomorrow with the USCA annual meeting is Dr. Glenn Tonser of Kansas State University, and he's going to join us a day early. He'll be with us right after we return here from this break. Stick around for more AOA coming up next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a nine to five. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, 
Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, to AOA. You know, we were speaking there in that first segment with Patrick Robinette there at the USCA annual meeting, and he mentioned one of the main things on the mind of everybody at that meeting is how are we going to make some money in 2023? And in the beef business, if we're going to make some money, we've got to be sure that consumers are able to get out there and buy the stuff that we are selling high-quality proteins here in this country. Well, Dr. Glenn Tonser, ag economics professor at Kansas State University, keeps track of what consumers are willing to spend on protein with his monthly meat demand monitor he's got the figures here for the month of november and he joins us now dr tonser thanks for filling us in on what's happening here in the meat demand world yeah thanks for having me on mike before we jump into the statistics dr tonser we talk about this every month but I, it's a complicated topic can you outline again what it is at the mdm that you're figuring up each month yeah so mdm is the acronym for meat demand monitor it is a nationally representative survey project that's based here at K-State. It is uh, jointly funded by the pork and beef checkoff uh, programs. And we are monitoring consumption and demand, and they're not the same as we've talked with your listeners before, uh, patterns on what's important, uh, what I call protein values, the role of price versus taste and safety and other factors in those decisions, uh, where they eat their meals, so at home, away from home, what type of restaurant, and a whole host of other things. Um, so hopefully that's a quick summary is, you know, the term meat demand monitor describes we're trying to monitor the situation domestically on uh, meat consumption and demand. That's what it comes down to. And Dr. Tonser, when we talked about the October numbers, we had seen a broad drop in the willingness to pay at the retail level, the grocery store level. And I'm wondering, is that uh, that drop in the willingness to pay continuing here across the uh, consumer segment? Yeah, in short, yes. So we, we look at a couple of beef, a couple of pork items, and then we've also got chicken breast and some other categories in this. And across the board, uh, retail or grocery store demand was down again in November. Uh, so to be clear, November here of 2022, uh, grocery store demand for you know at-home protein consumption was down versus October. And as you said, that was a continuation of the past. And importantly, November of 22 is also now below November of 21. So grocery store meat demand has certainly slipped uh, in recent weeks. Flip this out and round it out. Now, your listeners, the plug in here know that half of our MDM effort is for at home, as we just talked, and the other half is for away from home. So demand for meals at a restaurant, uh, specifically the dinner meal. Uh, the news is a little bit better there. Uh, so in the month of November, uh, away from home demand was up a little bit from October, but the beef and pork meal specifically, uh, ribeye steak and hamburger meal, pork chop meal and a baby back ribs meal. Uh, when I say meal, that's the main entree in the meal. Uh, demand for those items was down compared to November of 21. So I like to put a bow on this before I lose people. I know I talk fast, Mike, is November meat demand, regardless, away from home or at home, was down compared to November the year before, so year-over-year decline. And the month-over-month -month change depends on the market channel. So grocery store demand particularly a slip. We saw a little improvement within the quarter on away from home, but still notably weaker than we were as 2021 wrapped up. 
Glenn, I'm fascinated by this divergence between willingness to pay at home dropping and willingness to pay at retail climbing. Obviously, retail is the more expensive protein channel for these products. And I, I know you're, you're, you haven't had time to study all of this, but from an economic perspective, do you have a theory as to what's going on here? Is it just the holiday season? Folks are looking forward to getting out of the house? Yeah, I, I think you meant to say, Mike, that the food service is the more expensive item. Um, Yes. Yes. Thank clarify you. Clarify that for us, which is fine for our listeners, and and certainly on a you know price per pound basis, it is because you're paying somebody else to do the you know the food prep, the cleanup, and everything else is embedded in that meal. Uh, I do think there's still a segment that is trying to get out, but what I think is maybe the the narrower nugget um, for those that follow the news, you know, airline traffic is high, and just general travel rates are pretty high, um, despite some inflation concerns that you and I talked about. And why I'm highlighting that is I think travel-based demand for food service uh, at the extreme white table cost. So if you're doing a business deal over it, that mitigates the personal issues that the company's paying for it, save yourself, so to speak. Um, but a little bit beyond that, to the extent we're traveling and we do have a holiday effect that's buried in us for the month of November, um, I think that's part of the story. But I really think the deeper story to you know for everybody is overall demand has slipped. And it's because consumers are concerned about their finances. And uh, I think your folks, uh, the regular listeners here, know I've talked for several months about inflation and eroding buying power, um, and that showed up again here in our November assessment. And Glenn, when we think about how are consumers managing that elevated price at the grocery store, in the past you've mentioned that by and large the biggest group of consumers is willing to just write the check and pay bigger money even though they're willing to do it less are we starting to see that transition are folks actively now choosing uh, less of expensive cuts of, of protein yes we are so they're shifting you know i always always use the example ribeye to sirloin or you know a 16 ounce to 12 ounce size package they're making changes in the cut and the package size um, some of it's branded to unbranded we're seeing all those occur and kind of the frequency of that is going up um, to back out for another moment, another statistic that's in this survey, um, to me, illuminates the sentiment. So the financial sentiment concerns in our country. Um, University of Michigan, most folks know they do a consumer sentiment index that's not about me. It's more general for a whole country. And I use some of those same questions so I can kind of compare my survey with theirs. And here in November of 2022, 40% say they are doing worse financially than last year. So not quite half of our country is saying they're worse off and a fourth think they're going to be worse off yet a year from now. Both of those numbers oh, wow. are quite a bit more pessimistic than a year ago. Um, a year ago when I asked that question, only 30% said they were doing worse, and now it's 40%. Um, going from 30 to 40 and you know, this big of a project, and certainly for our whole country, is a big deal. And I'm only sharing that because I think folks are getting quite financially concerned, uh, not just as buying power today, kind of eroded, inflation's going faster than their wages, but just general macro and at times even geopolitical uncertainty looking forward, um, it's making people conservative. And I think we're seeing that spill over into the meat demand complex. You know, I think that's a really good point, Dr. Tonser. And I'm wondering, as folks are growing more concerned about their food budgets and they're eating less protein, are they reducing the frequency of their consumption? I know you measure that as well. Are you seeing some changes there? Not substantially, and I want to be careful when I say that. So frequency here would be, so for example, I asked, did you keep beef in a meal or did you have pork in your meal, specifically breakfast, lunch, and dinner? What I don't know is did you have four ounces versus nine ounces? I mean, so the, the latter is a more precise estimate. Um, and just keeping the protein in their meal is pretty um, 
consistent. So that's important because I think there's interest in keeping protein in the diet. But like your earlier question a couple minutes ago is exactly what's the size and the, you know, the brand or not and so forth. Those are the adjustments that are occurring. Uh, real quick, Mike, the add-on to that, um, sometimes I could be Dr. Bear, <laughs> so I want to be Dr. Hope for just a second here. Uh, one of the things that we added in November was a question, do you intentionally eat protein to help meet your fitness goals? And you've probably heard in the media just general, you know, protein helps if you're very active and certainly if you exercise regularly and so forth. And uh, we basically confirmed that here, specifically in the meat category by generation. Uh, over a third of the country says they intentionally eat protein to help meet personal fitness goals, and nearly half that are millennials, so those born between 1981 and 96 would say that. So younger generations are even more um, intentional in protein consumption for meat and fitness goals. I'm highlighting that because your prior day question is relevant. People are trying to keep protein in their diet for a lot of reasons, including meeting personal fitness goals. Uh, they're just trying to find a way to cheapen it up a little bit, given inflation and buying power concerns. That is true. That is, folks are really watching those uh, those bottom lines this year. Glenn, I know you will be speaking with the folks at the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And what are your thoughts here as they're preparing for 2023? A good question. Yeah, you and I are talking here Friday. I'm going to Nashville tomorrow uh, to give them a, a longer MDM update. Um, the punchline would be is the U.S. consumer still says they want protein. And that's what I was trying to clarify here with your listeners today. Um, but their buying power is eroded. And while that's not a fun message, it's important because I don't have signals that, you know, there's quality concerns with beef or pork. And obviously, the U.S. cattlemen will be talking mainly beef. Um, the implications are different, right, if we have a product problem. And I see actually the opposite, right? Is there's a lot of signs that consumers, not just domestically but abroad, like U.S. beef, which is what we'll be talking about tomorrow at U.S. Cattlemen. So I don't think there's a need to change the product per se. Uh, there's always ways to innovate and make a good product even better, of course. So I'm all for that. But I think it's a macroeconomic situation that we just kind of have to get through. Yeah, put our heads down to get through. You know, when we're looking at these macroeconomic situations in October, Glenn, you highlighted there was a rising willingness to pay for beans and rice, the, the most affordable dish. Are folks cooling on beans and rice? Yeah, they did in November. Um, and I don't know if that's because you can only eat so much beans and rice. Um, or, or if there was just this, what I honestly think was October was a bit of a spike in concern, um, likely among the more low-income group. Um, most of the numbers I share with you here are aggregate for the whole country. There's obviously socioeconomic groups would be more interested in and rice than others. All right, folks, fantastic information at the Meat Demand Monitor. They also have a great dashboard that is up. You can explore it on a state-by-state basis at ksumeatdemandmonitor.shinyapps.io. We've been talking with Dr. Glenn Tonser, and Dr. Tonser, safe travels to Nashville. Thanks, and happy holidays, everybody. And folks, stick around. We'll be back with Dan Halstrom of the U.S. Meat Export Federation when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, 
your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfa with this market update. Corn and soy meal are slightly higher this morning, while wheat and beans are weaker to start. There is not a whole lot of fresh news to impact egg markets early on as we await the December WASD crop report coming out at 11 a.m. today. Soybean meal appears to be overbought, but is headed for a possible eighth straight higher finish. Now, the WASD crop report a little bit later today. Look for it to make another modest cut to Argentina soybean crop and perhaps corn crop in today's report. Those cuts could become much more significant in January and February. Argentina's wheat crop will also likely be cut some more, while Australia's crop just keeps getting bigger. U.S. corn exports could be cut partially offset by an increase in feed usage, while USDA will likely hold the line on most other U.S. balance sheet items, perhaps a modest cut in wheat exports. The bigger report will be in January when much more significant changes in the domestic and global balance sheets are expected. Now, the corn and soybean crops in Brazil continue to advance toward maturity in generally good condition. Areas of crop stress tend to hover between 10 to 20 percent of the crop growing areas, which is fairly typical for any growing season. The first of the soybeans planted in mid-September in Mato Grosso are expected to be harvested over the next two to three weeks or so, while more significant acreage will be harvested in January and February. Now, it's a different story in Argentina, though, where a multi-year drought remains in place. Argentina hopes to produce half a wheat crop this year, and that may prove to be a bit optimistic. Wheat harvest will gain momentum over the coming days and weeks. Argentina has a long spring planting season starting in October and continuing into early February. One-third of the corn has been planted so far, with the earliest of the corn now moving into pollination. The three-year average for planting progress is 47%. The crop is rated 18% good to excellent currently versus the 85% from a year ago. The soybean crop is 37% planted currently, down from the three-year average of 58% due to the drought. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're continuing our focus today on AOA of looking at the meat markets. What's going on in the world of red meat? Of course, U.S. Cattlemen's Association getting underway. Glenn Tonser tracking meat demand across the country. And now we're going to check in with U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Halstrom. He joins us today. And Dan, thanks for taking the time to join us. My pleasure, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, we've got some good stuff to talk about. The October export results were released recently, and Dan, pork exports up substantially. Can you give us the headlines? Yes, uh, October was a very good month. Uh, the, the highest uh, pork numbers in, in over a year, about 238,000 tons uh, globally that were exported. And uh, you know, um, it's 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 good news in the sense that it's not any one market. Uh, we saw we we've seen continued growth out of Mexico all year, and, and they were up slightly. Um, but we saw growth in China. We saw growth in Korea. Actually, Korea was amazing growth, up 25 percent. Uh, we've got growth in the Caribbean region. We've got growth in the Philippines. So, uh, really, a pretty good story overall. Uh, and we, we kind of forecasted that uh, the last quarter of the year would be better compared to the trend lines earlier in the year. So it looks like that's coming true. It is. And Dan, those gains over there in parts of Asia are phenomenal. Those South Korea gains were incredible. Were, were there any Was there any issue on the supply side that drove the Koreans to purchase more U.S. pork? Or is this just a demand story as Asia continues to open up? Well, it's a little hard to tell, but definitely demand is good uh, and, uh, and and increasing. And and you know, part of the story that really makes it amazing is that uh, you know September and October was really uh, the peak of the devaluation of the local currencies against the U.S. dollar. So, you know, you've got a Korean won that was devalued to the extent of about twenty-five to thirty percent, which makes our products more expensive. So. It's kind of a mixed message. Uh, I would say the fact that these growth numbers are up so much in Korea in particular, and, and oddly enough, on the beef side, they were up as well. Uh, the fact they did it in the face of a very strong dollar makes it even more impressive. Yeah, it truly does. They were writing some pretty good-sized checks to get that high-quality U.S. protein onto their shores. And Dan, when we're thinking about this U.S. protein, and we talk about pork exports, we talk about beef exports. I know in my case, my, my head goes to whole cuts and maybe ground pork, ground beef. But in October, we saw the variety meats really perform well. Is that market coming back to where it was pre-COVID? I think it most definitely is. And you know that, that of course, is demand-related, but it's more so supply-related to your earlier question. I think uh, back in 2020, 2021, uh, there were so many issues around lack of labor that uh, some of these variety meats were not being saved, and, and a lot of those normally are exported. So I think we're seeing a rebound in the products being saved and also the rate at which they are saved, um, creating more production availability. And I think that's partly what we're seeing here, too. Demand's good, don't get me wrong, but you've got to be able to produce it and save it first. That's the truth. You got to have it on hand to sell it if you're going to be doing that option. Dan, I'm wondering, as you talk about the demand story there in Asia, the big headlines this past week have been China apparently looking to roll back its COVID zero policies. If they do that here into 2023, what does that mean for beef and pork exports into that region? Well, I think uh, I, I think uh, it's good news that there's been some movement there um, because the food service sector has been absolutely decimated. I mean, uh, 
uh, you know, for most of this year. Um, you know, the the food service group, you know, restaurants, if you have a restaurant in a zone that has a COVID po- a positive, uh, then everything is locked down. Um, we've got staff in Beijing that uh, are in these big apartment complexes and one COVID case in an apartment complex with 5,000 people, all 5,000 are locked down and can't leave. So, and that impacts restaurants in the area too. So this is what we've been living with for the past uh well, at least the past year. So any kind of relaxation along these lines uh, would be good news for demand as we go into 2023 uh, for both beef and pork. But I would say especially for beef because uh, beef is more at the center of the plate and food service, so to speak. And, uh, and uh, you know, you know the, the, the momentum that we've established this year and, and last year was more on the retail side and the online side. So any kind of improvement on food service would definitely give a boost to beef demand. I'm glad you brought up beef because this was October, another kind of a landmark month for beef exports. And Dan, how did they go over into Asia, China specifically? Yeah, yeah. well, in total, we're up 8%, 125,000 tons for October. Uh, we are still on record pace globally, uh, easily on record pace. We're over 10 billion uh, through 10 months. So uh, that, that by far is the record. Uh, yeah, looking at Asia, you know, Japan was up slightly. Uh, Korea's up 10% on beef. China was up 30%. Um, the whole Asian story is pretty positive. Philippines uh, and Vietnam both were strong for beef. And then on top of that, you had some other markets, uh, Mexico, Middle East, Canada were all up as well. So once again, pretty broad-based growth on the beef side. That's been the theme for most of the year. And uh, despite higher prices and, and concerns around a strong dollar, uh, it's hang- the demand is hanging in there very well. Dan, every time we talk, it's always interesting to hear what's on the radar at USMEF as your team is out there around the world exploring new opportunities. And I'm, I'm wondering, as we close out 2022, are there any countries you think could step in to become U.S. meat purchasers for the first time or perhaps again in a long time here in the coming years? Well, I, I think, um, yes, I, I think there's a couple of regions that stand out. And, uh, you know, Central America and South America continue to develop. Now, October was a bit down on beef, but uh, in general, they were up on pork. But in general, the 10-year growth rates uh, in those two regions are phenomenal. Uh, take a country like Colombia. It has seen amazing growth on pork for 10 years and the last three or four years on beef. So those are, I think that's a country and, and a region that could show additional uh, development going into 2023. And then, of course, you've got places like the African region, which is a little bit more longer term, but uh, there's a lot of positives there as well. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of the broad-based growth theme is something we're really focused on, not just one or two of the larger markets. That's, that's the beauty of the situation we're in right now. It is. And the ability to have buyers of all different sizes around the world to play off one another and to help ensure some stability in this market certainly helps. And on the pork side, Dan, I know we have seen that global market upended by African swine fever here around the world and particularly for American growers in the Dominican Republic. Have we seen the DR need to import a lot more corn or excuse me, a lot more pork from the U.S. now that they've got ASF on their shores? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh 
you know, we're at about 66,000 tons for the year. It's up about 40%. Um, a lot of that's, uh, there was growth prior to ASF, but nothing like this. So without a doubt, they're filling the void with imports to, to some extent. And, uh, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, you know that's the good news side of what's going on there. The bad news side is we have to keep working hard to do two things. Number one is, uh, and the industry is doing this, do everything possible to assure that ASF never makes it to the shores here. Uh, and then number two, you know, start working on uh, some backup plans in a worst case scenario. And, and both of those things, the pork industry and uh, supporting industries are very much working on that today. So we don't we don't put into any kind of a situation where we might be disrupted with trade in the future. All right. Dan, uh, looking out, we've got some potential trade deals coming with the UK, maybe some openings into the EU with their energy crisis. Is is there opportunities for U.S. pork into the Europe region more broadly or beef uh, as well? I think without a doubt. Yeah. The, um, the EU has been a growth market for beef. Um, and, uh, UK specifically, and and you know, to your question about the UK specifically, uh, it's my personal opinion that that the UK is looking for other reliable trading partners besides mainland EU, uh, and and I think in that respect, uh, the timing would be good to have some sort of a deal put together because uh, uh, the the UK knows very well about our quality and safety and all that. There's no question there. Uh, they're just looking for another uh, outlet uh, to rely on for supply. And uh, unfortunately, today, the, the the politics of getting it done, it's possible, but it'd be much easier if we had a trade deal in place. Uh, so, so yeah, I think uh, there are opportunities there without a doubt. Another region in the world that uh, we're optimistic about is the uh, Indo-Pacific framework, um, you know, deal down in uh, – in the Southeast Asia, uh, there's talks, uh, you know, starting this month officially uh, between the, the U.S. and the participating parties. So, you know, some of these re- these countries like Indonesia, you know, Vietnam, Philippines, et cetera, uh, that could pay some dividends as well. So there is some movement in the right direction on uh, more access through some of these trade talks. So we're we're optimistic about that looking forward. That is good to hear. And Dan, when you say it can pay dividends, that's quite literally. We see that export val- export value per head continue to climb both on pork and beef. Do you expect in 2022? Yeah, it's uh, we're, we're hopeful that it will. Uh, you know, you get this broad based growth and, and, you know, something as simple as getting more value on tripe or tongues and some of the variety meats has really contributed. So, uh, yes, I think it's all about the value, right? The uh, um, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, we just got to continue to push forward on it. That's the truth. Push forward. Bring those dollars back to the American cattleman, pork producer, sheep raiser, whatever you've got. That's what we're trying to get. Dan Halstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Thanks for joining us with that update. My pleasure. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk truck parking. When AOA returns, Louis Pugh of Owida will join us as a new bill in the Senate might make it a little bit easier. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Recently, we had the chance to talk with Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, about the recent changes in the U.S. Congress and how that could impact discussions over the 2023 Farm Bill looking ahead. With the election in the rearview mirror, now a lot of people are turning their attention forward. They're looking to the end of next year, and we have the expiration of the 2018 Farm Bill. From CHS perspective, what are you looking for in this Farm Bill? And I guess, what are you expecting as this discussion starts to heat up? Big change or small changes? Yeah, I think it's going to be more on the small change side. When I worked in the Senate, I worked for a, a senator that used to use the phrase evolutionary, not revolutionary. So I, I steal that a lot. And, you know, I, I really think 
think as far as farm policy goes, those Title I and crop insurance programs that farmers rely on, I think it's going to be more small-scale changes, tweaks to the program to make sure that they're operating better for farmers rather than something entirely new like we've seen in the past where they're going to have to learn an all-new program. Do you think we can get it across the finish line? Will Congress be engaged enough in ag issues to handle small ball stuff on a big project like the Farm Bill? Yeah, it's tough. That same boss that I used to work for used to say, you go to a member of Congress and bring up crop insurance and you've got about seven seconds before their eyes glaze over. But it's so important to our farmer owners that we need to be engaged. And there will be attacks from both the left and the right on programs like crop insurance that we're going to need to fight back on. But I do think at the end of the day, I think the leadership is in place within both the House and the Senate that have done this before, have been in the seat before and have gotten a bill across the finish line. I'm optimistic that we will get something done by the end of the year. That was Will Stafford, who works as the Washington representative in D.C. for CHS. Thanks for joining us here around the table. You can learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You know, over the past six months, we have been talking a lot about the ongoing issues in supply chains across this country. We've seen the Mississippi River run to record low levels this fall. We had the risk of a railroad strike just a few weeks ago. And at the bottom of that, the American trucking industry has been asked to do more than ever before. And they're struggling because they don't have a place to park while they're working. Well, that might be changing. Joining me for an update now is Louis Pugh. He's the executive vice president over at the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association. And Louis, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure as always. And thanks for what you do and getting a message out there for ag and stuff as well. It's, it's important. That's important, just like trucking. It certainly is. The two work hand in hand, Louis, and truckers have been struggling for some time. Could you set this up a little bit for our non-trucking audience here? What are the challenges truckers face at the end of their day? Yeah, truckers, uh, it's, it's, all, it's been a problem for the last probably 30, 40 years, but it just continues to grow, is they need a place to park and a safe place to park as well, you know, just not anywhere to put their truck. And it's actually grown to the level, we're down to 11 or there's one parking spot for every 11 trucks out there and i'm sure if any of your listeners take a road trip anywhere in this country they notice and they drive at night they notice there's trucks parked on on ramps on the side of the road on the side of the street you know just anywhere and everywhere and probably wondering why because it's becoming more of a norm than it's ever been and it's just because these poor these people they're regulated of course by hours of service when they can drive and when they need to rest and the problem is there's nowhere for them to rest safely or not enough places, I would say. That is absolutely a challenge. And we saw this past summer in the Inflation Reduction Act. There was talk that maybe we could get some more funding for truck parking, but it didn't materialize. Louie, but now it sounds like Congress is, is trying to make up for that. Can you fill us in on what's been happening with the Truck Parking Safety Improvement Acts? 
Yes, yeah, so our association has been working hard for years to try to get this done. And finally, we've gotten a couple bills that are both co-sponsored bills, one in the House, which is Senate or is House Bill 2187, and then another one in the Senate, which is Senate Bill 5169. Uh, both bills, one with Congressman Boston, the other by uh, Senator Loomis out of Wyoming and Boston's out of Illinois. But they uh, have realized this problem, and this would be legislative passed would dedicate hundreds of millions, like $755 million to parking projects. And I know people get concerned when they hear that kind of money being thrown out there. And they're in the concern of like, where would it go and make sure it gets to the where it needs to go? Because unfortunately, we see it happen in Washington. But there's a lot of restrictions in this bill. And, and this money will have to go to expand parking projects across the country. Uh, a lot of them will be uh, rest areas, um, old way stations, rest areas been closed, reopened, maybe use of land that the government already has. There'll be a bidding process set up and, and they'll actually have to do studies and make sure and we're putting these where we need this parking as well, which I mean, we need it all over, but the money will be geared to where it's needed the most, I guess you would say. That's good to hear. And I understand both the House and the Senate version of this bill have bipartisan sponsors. Louie, what is the what's your theory on whether or not it's it's going to get across the finish line? Is the push there here in this Congress? Yes, I would definitely say it's here in Congress. In fact, it's already passed the TNI committee and it's just waiting for a House vote on the House bill. But I do think they both do have bipartisan support. The Senate bill was just released a week or so ago. So we're busy, as, you know, educating. In fact, I'm going to D.C. next week to meet with our my D.C. staff and go up on the hill myself with them and do some meetings as well. I urge your listeners, if they're out there, no matter what state you're in, call your senators and, and congressmen both and ask them to support both Senate Bill 5169 and House Bill 2187. But I do feel like there's support. DOT and FMCSA, which are kind of the regulating body of trucking, they have they have made it known that this is a problem and an issue, and they're on board with this. So there's lots of support in Washington. And, and there should be. The, the, they make truckers rest, which truckers need to rest. There's no doubt about it. But if you don't rest when you're supposed to, you can be fined. So if they're going to fine you, they should at least make sure you have a place to park so you can get that rest so you don't get fined. I mean, that certainly sounds fair to me, Louie. And I'm wondering, as you prepare to head to D.C., what other concerns are you hearing from OIDA members that they'd like to, to hear about in Washington? Any issues that are on their minds looking ahead to this next year? Yeah, there's a little bit of concern. There's a speed limiter bill that out there that, you know, I know especially in Western states is not popular. It's not popular with us. They want to put speed limiters on all tractor trailer trucks. We've heard 50 or 60 mile an hour, 65 mile an hour, which we feel, you know, you're taking you're take you're restricting the driver's ability to drive the truck. And and plus we know that split speed limits are, are not safe. I think we're down to seven states in America now that have split speed limits between cars and trucks. We're always the safest when traffic's going the same speed. And you get out here in the western states, especially. I mean, can you you know, you think it's worth 70, 75, 80 mile an hour and a truck's only gonna go 60. We're just asking for problems. I know that's a big thing the truckers are concerned about. It is. Um, Louis, also, what, oh, go ahead, go ahead, please. I was no, just going to ask, what's the likelihood that that limiter bill gets put into place? It seems like FMCSA is pushing hard on it. Yeah, FMCSA, and that's where they're trying. This was introduced by the American Trucking Association. Some others to do a study and come up with this. 
and they're kind of represent the big carriers. And but what they in, in FMCSA, these bills have been floated a few times in Congress, but now they're going at this from a regulatory where FMCSA themselves um, can come out with some sort of rule or regulation under under the guidance of safety. Now, the good thing is there was like 16,000 comments when the comment period was open sent to FMCSA, the majority of them of people against it. So, you, you know, I, I don't know where it's going to land. I mean, if they come out with it, there's still some more steps in place. They'll have to go to OMB and some other things. But I don't think there's a really... I don't think Congress would is going to be for it if if it would come to a go to a legislative side. But right now, I got I just want to point out this is all coming from a regulatory side. So it is in the agency and not not the Congress. Good point. That's Louis Pugh, Executive Vice President at OIDA, keeping an eye on those federal regulations for trucking. And folks, tune in tomorrow for or on Monday for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.